You're listening to Random Fit with hosts Wendy Batts and Ken Miller, winner of a Gold Markham Award for Digital Media. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Random Fit. I am Wendy Batts here with my friend and co-host, Mr. Ken Miller. Ken, how are you today? Doing great, Wendy. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful yeah. day, and I am really excited about this uh, this week's podcast for sure. So um, if you don't mind, Ken, I'm just going to go ahead and introduce them so we can bring them in and we can start the conversation. Um, this week, we have Dr. Scott Stevenson joining us. He is an applied exercise physiologist with nearly three decades of personal training experience, online coaching. He's a consultant. He's a speaker. He's an author. He's a former professor. And this man has been working out for over 40 years. He has been competing for 25 years, winning the overall um, NPC competitions. Uh, he's been placed uh, at the top five national level um, as a master competitor, like at least five times. I mean, this man, he is the perfect person to bring on when we talk about yeah. competitive bodybuilding. So without further ado, let's bring on Dr. Scott. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction. I have to say, I really like that commercial. I know, it's right? Probably Super newly produced. It, it made me want to sign up and do the certification. Yeah. <laughs> that was very, very cool. Yeah, the verbiage is great. Uh, well, um, you're a contributor to this course. So, I mean, indeed. I'm really excited about it coming out. So, I mean, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. I, well, it's a long time coming. That's the thing. I, as you noted uh, in that very kind introduction, I've been around for a hot minute. Um, <laughs> When I started, like literally, I started doing this before the internet even existed. And then there was no such thing even as a coach or just an online trainer, so to speak. And along the way, it's been literally the wild, wild west as far as who is qualified, who's not qualified. I've seen some horror stories as far as poor court, poor coaching, poor behavior, basically, because there's no licensure. There's no real certification directly for people doing online coaching or doing physique and bodybuilding coaching in particular. And it's a good thing we have this because a huge part of what it actually has been, oh, there I am, a huge part of what this actually is about uh, for many, many people is that transformation. There's so much potential to change the quality of people's lives and literally change the trajectory of their lives. Um, I've seen can even be it can even be changing friends, literally changing of lifestyle that happens where someone basically becomes a different person ten years later. They go back to their class reunion. It's like, who is this person? There's someone totally new and different. And at the centerpiece of that is oftentimes a transformation experience that happens with someone who's basically acting as a a bodybuilding physique coach. And so there's a lot of um, responsibility there and a lot of potential to help people just um, transform, as I said. And so it's a good thing that we now we've got a qualification. Finally, I'm glad NASA jumped on. I'm surprised that it hasn't happened previously because there's been such a high demand for that. Um, and now there's going to be a, a substantial qualification that that really sets people up for specifically not just going in and doing we're going to I want you to come in three times a week. I'm going to run you through the ringer. We're going to train you. Maybe we'll make some gains. Maybe we won't. We'll kind of get to a certain spot where we kind of hold you someplace comfortable. You wouldn't work out if you weren't with me. This is more about people who have very distinctive goals in mind, either getting on stage literally competitively or at least going for some sort of an endpoint like a photo shoot. Um, and that's a different ballgame. Um, I've heard people say, 
like in various ways, you could you could literally pull anyone off the street who doesn't even know how to work out, and they could run you through the ringer until you you throw up in the gym. They could this doesn't take much to really just punish someone in the gym. That's an easy thing to do, and that's that's not what all personal trainers do. But there's definitely a lot more to getting someone and balancing the training uh, recovery and the training stimulus and appropriately changing the diet as needed doing refeeds, doing all the things that we put into this, this massive document. I don't even know how long the thing is. Well, it's, if you were a printed out book, it would be at least a thousand pages. I imagine it's a monstrous resource, just even for those who wouldn't want to even take the certification exam. Um, those things have all gone into one spot. That's a, it's a, it definitely is a skill set that we've needed so long in this industry. And it's just really kind of cool to know that it's, it's finally kind of happened. It's finally manifested in the last yeah. week. Yep, yeah, definitely. And, and what I what I really like about having you, I know Wendy's excited about every episode that we do, but I'm really excited because you were you were in academia, and one of the things that you talk about and your approach to bodybuilding, as it is the National Academy of Sports Medicine's approach to personal training, is that we we love to take that evidence based approach, and I got to give a shout out to uh, Cal Poly Pomona Broncos. Uh, that's uh, I'm, an, I'm an alumni of. Uh, I didn't know that. Pomona. Yeah, right so I on. saw that in your bio. I'm like, yeah. When were you there? I was. There. I graduated in 1993. For those of you that oh, are okay. <laughs> All right, that's okay. So I think it was before you got into academia yourself. But... I graduated from college in '92, so yeah, we're about oh, okay. the same age. I'm the only year older than you, but yeah, I was there 2000, 2002. So okay, missed you by about a decade. Yeah. But, Thanks, Crazy. Scott. I appreciate you yeah. saying it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting though. We probably know some of the same people. You probably were taught by um, I'm trying Dr. to like Dr. Bassin, uh, Dr. Tate. Uh, Dan Bassin was phenomenally helpful for me when I was there. Great yeah. guy. Yeah. So, right on. Yeah. yeah. No. No. I saw your bio, but in a you know again, not too many people know about California Polytechnic University Pomona which is right. east of LA. But, you know, being an alumni, I got to give a shout out to that exercise science program out there. I think it's now called kinesiology. But uh, mm -hmm. my point being, you know, the fact that you come from academia, you do take a, a science-based approach towards physique and bodybuilding. And I think that, I mean, this 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 new course that's out and you being a big contributor, you you basically legitimize the fact that you, you don't have to, like what you're saying, I mean, you can take anybody off the street. They work hard enough. They eat well. They're going to look okay, right? They're going to look good. They're going to put on some mass. But you do take that evidence-based approach towards achieving that goal of being able to compete competitively, I guess, in bodybuilding and physique. So that's where I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Bridging that gap, that's sort of been sort of my mission because I'm I'm a bro. I'm a meathead. It's kind of a running joke to some of my friends. I'm literally, I grew up reading the muscle magazines, fell in love with weight training just when I was a kid, started lifting as far as I know when I was 11. But before that, I used to kind of sneak into my dad's weight room and um, lift things he had there. So the thing that's so interesting is this is just human nature. Can't blame him for this, but we've got the guys who are the bros who literally have lived in the gym for decades and they figured out what works from themselves, from talking to other guys. They have this information. And what happens in these studies, oftentimes there's obviously limitations. You're not going to take someone who's been training for 10 years. You're not going to gather 30 guys who've been training for a decade and run them through a, a study because they don't want to give themselves up 
for a study. They've already got things the way they want them. So you need to use beginners. We can go through the limitations that, that science may have, but there's information there because it's the same universe in the hardcore gym and the dungeon gym as exists in the lab. And these are human beings. So there's a massive amount of information that can be found. And the funny thing, and this is, this is where I, I feel really, really lucky in that I've kind of, I, I defend, I straddle both universes to speak is, or the same universe is that I hear something, I see something that happens or that I've experienced and I can sort of process that with my scientific mind. And then I can dig into the literature. I love to do. I love to travel down rabbit holes and there isn't a singular time when I haven't been able to find something in the literature that supports or points towards a mechanism that may substantiate what others would say. Well, that's bro science. The only thing that's really bro science is when someone makes up a mechanism to make it sound sciencey. That's that. I'm not too big on that, but there's always something, always something the sign that points in the direction. Another contributor I give him all the time is Brad Schoenfeld, very well known. He was a, he's competed himself. He was a personal trainer for years and he went into science basically to try to come up with some scientific evidence to support a lot of these quote unquote bro notions. And he's had an entire career doing that. So yeah, it's really, it's really, that's sort of my, my, my uh, spiel is to go from take the science and translate that and then try to figure out what science might um, substantiate as far as the, the perceptions, the notions that their average guy in the gym has. So that's where it's at in my mind. Um, is trying to blend those two things together and take the best of both worlds. Yep. Well, and today on Random Fit, myself, Wendy Batts is here with Ken Miller. We're talking to Dr. Scott Stevenson, and who is a competitive bodybuilder. And obviously, he has a very extensive academic background. And Scott, you know, I think one of the questions I want to ask you because this is the question I get all the time, and I'd love to hear your explanation of it, obviously, because of what you do. But if someone is, is interested in bodybuilding and they wake up and they, they are like, today's the day I'm going to make this commitment. Like, what's a realistic time frame for somebody that maybe has been in the gym, but let's say, you know, from the couch to the stage, like how much time do you have to commit in order to do what you do at that level? So... The age can mean so many different things for so many different people. Um, I'm really, really big on goal setting. Um, I've written a book. It's called Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. It's for people who want to kind of go it alone. And the first chapter is all about goal setting and knowing what that, what that Z is going to be when you're starting at A. So the stage, especially now in the women's divisions, um, and it depends on which country you live in too, but the women's divisions range from bikini, um, which – they're looking for a fit physique, look like you've actually done some training to women's bodybuilding. Well, it's no holds barred. You literally can't be too conditioned. Your body fat can't be too low. Um, they do prefer a feminine look, but muscle mass can be essentially unlimited. They're still looking at structure and aesthetics of the physique. So you've got this gigantic range. So literally the stage means multiple targets. It can mean a million and one different things depending on the person. And then who that person is. If someone's starting off maybe from a lifetime of being very, very overweight, they may have a hundred pounds to lose, which could even include a surgery to uh, remove excess skin, things like that. They might need two years or what have you to get to where they'd want to be to compete in a given division, in a, in a given association or organization. So we've got those that are tested. We've got those that aren't tested. One of the things that I got to do as part of the, the chapter that I wrote, which was on peak week, 
So that last week before you get on stage was do kind of a summary of all the different organization divisions and, and go through, at least in my mind, the things that a client or an individual would want to look at in terms of picking out show, even just photo shoot. And if you look around the globe, you'll can see even the names like fitness is one. You look for a division called fitness. It means totally different things depending on where you go. In, in one case, in the U.S. here in the NPC, it means you're if you're a woman, women fitness competitor, you're going to do a routine. You also got a physique assessment round. Other places, you, they may have an evening gown. Um, and there may be men's divisions where men are wearing suits or a, or a tuxedo. So it's literally sort of got a modeling twist to it. And you can find organizations like that in the U.S. as well. So it all depends on what the person really wants to do. And the way I see it, if you've chosen a goal that really suits you, that just you're just intrinsically driven towards, then as, as trite as this may seem, you're going to enjoy the journey and not worry so much about the destination because you're getting somewhere you want to go. So you're having it. The road trip is is literally the the end product, so to speak, of your efforts because you're changing yourself, you're evolving, you're becoming something new, you're unraveling, you're, you're peeling back the onion of who you are as you go. And it's a place that you want to be. But that's, it's so important. For instance, let's take a like a worst case scenario, someone has started off and they're three or 400 pounds, they've got a lot of extra weight to lose, and want to do bodybuilding competition, and they just pick whichever one happens to be closest. It turns out, it's a pretty high level, well-known show. Like there's one that occurs to me is the Southern States. Sounds like, oh, that's pretty good. I live in a Southern state. I'll just go to the Southern States. That's almost, almost a pro qualifier level show in the NPC. That's really, really competitive. That person could make amazing gains, incredible progress, have really done something absolutely outstanding. And they go to that show and they're not even the running. They're in the last call out. They don't really get even considered for winning or placing because they just didn't do the research on their show. So finding what you wanted, and there are shows, there are competitions where they just have a, a best transformation. And those are phenomenal. Those are really fun. I've, I lived in Arizona, I actually lived in Tucson. I know you guys are, I think you're both in Phoenix. So that's where NASA was sort of stationed. And I went to some of these shows when I was there at the elementary schools and they'd have best transformation competitions. And those are, they, they get to show the person's story. And it was basically sort of almost like a coming out in a sort of way for people to talk about what they overcame and getting to that position. And they were literally tears comes to your eyes. That is a beautiful journey. So there's so many things that can happen. You don't necessarily have to go and go for the pro card. A lot of the organizations now, they dangle that as the carrot. Um, you can get a pro card. Well, another thing that I note in there is that the pro card that you may win may not make you actually ensure um, you in any way that you will compete as a pro. Um, because look what, for instance, on the Olympia stage, just because you won your pro card at a pro card qualifying show doesn't mean that you can compete with those individuals. So that's the most important part, forming that goal, forming that endpoint, And that could be any of a, thousands of different things. And then once you've got that in mind and you've got a good coach, someone to guide you, depending on how much, how much uh, assistance you need or want, um, you could even change that. You may decide, you know what, heck, I'm going to go for the gusto. I remember when I did my very first show, 1997, they had a they had a novice category um, for someone who never competed again. Of course, I did that. And then they had the open category. And I just went to the open. My plan was to win the whole thing. Like, nothing's going to stop me. I want to win. The of course, I didn't. Didn't happen. Um, 
but that was the mindset I had. And that was just so much fun to do it that way. And it wasn't like, you know, I left the show, you know, in a state of depression because I didn't win. Um, but that was the mindset that kept me going. And it, I had so much fun training for that show and doing really some asinine things I would never do these days. But I way overtrained. I did a lot of things that had I had just just this resource or someone like a physique and bodybuilding coach around at that time, I would have done things differently. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it really is a matter of figuring out where you want to go. That's that's the most important part in my mind. Um, and that's what a good coach can help you with, too. Someone who knows their way around, someone who's been actively competing or doing this for a while, then gets a certification would be a, a great choice because they can they can tell you, ah, not, we don't want to do that show because this, 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 and this, or I know the level of this, or this one's better suited for, for what you want to do. This is the right division for you. That's a feeling out process as well. And people grow into different divisions. Some people don't realize the potential they have, and they shoot for like a lot of times women who naturally put on more muscle than others might say, I'm going to just do bikini because that's the least muscular of the divisions. And they they basically grow right past bikini and become a women's physique competitor just because they're naturally inclined. Um, maybe they've gone from an endurance to a weight training uh, training regime and they recognize, wow, I've got a lot of potential to put on muscle mass. I might as well go for the division that suits my physique better. And that's that's the really good thing, I think, about the way the organizations are set up now. It's There's a spot for pretty much everybody somewhere. Right. Right. Yeah. Now you, you said you, there's there's a lot to unravel with what you just said there. <laughs> right. And I mean, there's, there's a couple of things I do want to get into, but um, and you mentioned peak week and we just had an associate of ours that had, you know, when we saw him last, he just, I don't know, looked like he put on 15 pounds from the previous time that we saw him. And, it, it, you know, from conversations, it looked like he was his trajectory was right. But then, you know, in talking to him, you know, we talk about coaching now. Um, he said his, his nutritionist, his, his, his coach in the gym, um, they, they, they couldn't seal the deal. Right. And, and when you mentioned peak week, can you describe that? Or can you explain that a little bit deeper? Because for him, things were looking good. And then it came down to the last couple of weeks when things really had to be humming and in sync. And he said, that's when things fell apart. So can you explain a little bit more about peak week and what that is and what that means as far as yes. making a break in somebody for competition? This is, this might be the most talked about topic. If you just think of like all the things that you can talk about as far as bodybuilding goes, um, because if you've done things right, if you're really where you need to be, then peak week should, doesn't need to be anything other than the last week of your diet before you step on stage. In many, many cases, it can be that. Um, we've got this interesting phenomenon, and this is, of course, roots back in the origins of bodybuilding. First, we had bodybuilding, and with men's bodybuilding in particular, as much muscle that you can get, the better. The leaner you can get, the better. The drier you can get, the better. So there's some water manipulation that goes that gets involved there. One of the greatest dangers, actually, of competitive bodybuilding over the years has turned out in the untested divisions, especially as men use, and women, too, we use diuretics. Um, which can have just completely um, catastrophic effects potentially. So that's the kind of the origin. And when the new divisions have come in, for instance, let's take bikini at one end of the at one end of the spectrum. We're looking for a feminine look, not a soft look, but a, a fit look, not a extremely muscular, vascular, striated glutes, off the charts, muscular look. There's a certain look they're looking for there. And if, in my opinion, many, many cases, there are some um, exceptions. 
bikini competitors wouldn't need to do anything for a peak week. The idea of bikini divisions actually sort of from the outset and things tend to creep over time. I've, I've been around long enough to see this. They come up with a new division and slowly that division, especially in the women's categories I'm thinking now in the U.S., they tend to move more towards the bodybuilding um, in terms of the judging and the, uh, the criteria that they use for, for judging the, the women. Um, but if someone's gotten to the place where they should be for bikini, that should be a sustainable look for the most part. One that you could don't need to do any manipulations in peak week. But what we have in our mindset is, well, we're in a bodybuilding competition. So we need to do what the bodybuilders do. And bodybuilders, especially if they've got a weight class they need to meet, they've got things that they want to take care of to make sure the muscle is as full as possible. Large of that involves carbohydrate loading, massive amounts of carbohydrate in some cases. We're talking about a guy that may weigh 230, 240 pounds on stage who has to eat 2,000, 3,000 calories in order to fill up the muscle cells that have been previously depleted from weeks and weeks of really, really treacherous hard dieting. And then he might manipulate water because he's, and we, this is in the chapter of the road that fill and spill. I'm taking this from a friend of mine, Ken Hill. He always gets credit that in Clay eat so much carbohydrate that you do sort of have a spilling over effect and the body softens up a little bit and you'd rid that water. You can do that completely naturally without the use of any diuretics. In those cases, when someone spilled over to kind of clean up the physique, so to speak, and have a drier look, a little more muscular look. So that's one strategy. There's a million ways this has been done, but that's one strategy that happens in bodybuilding. So what happens is, especially because you come into the you come into the, the the field, and this is what the bodybuilders do, and everyone wants to play along. Everyone like, what are you doing for your peak week? Well, everyone else is doing something for their peak week. I have to do something, right? Well, not necessarily. So. The range of what a peak week could be, if you completely, even at the end of end the spectrum where someone's a bodybuilder, competitive bodybuilder at the highest levels, if you're really, really in condition and you don't have a weight limit that you need to meet, meet you can just cruise into the into the show. Lee Priest is someone, for instance. He used to just, his, his peak week was basically to stop drinking water and he's drinking at a normal pace five or six o'clock that night before a morning show the next day. That was, that was it. That was all that he would do sometimes. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people doing all sorts of crazy and treacherous things that, that a lot of times backfire. The biggest mistake and one of the most dangerous things is, is people shoot for some kind of a Hail Mary. I always say my rule of thumb is like, shoot for an A. If you got an A, you're good. You're go, it's going for that plus where people want to literally somehow magically transform themselves in that last week and produce a look that they've never had any time previous in the course of the weeks before the prep chances are you're going to mess that up. It just doesn't work. Every once in a while, and this can actually be a bad thing, every once in a while someone will almost get lucky. They time it perfectly. Everything kind of comes together, and they may not even know what they've done. And then they want to they want to go for that. So they have this idea like, oh, I can do that every time. And it doesn't work out that way. So standardize, one of my biggest, biggest thoughts is actually the peak week, and I emphasize this in the chapter. I've been saying this for a long time it doesn't get done that often is to do a practice peak week, two, three, maybe even four weeks beforehand, run through everything. So you know what works if you're going to load up and then try to minimize water. If you got some manipulation that change your look, changes what you weigh, changes the way your physique appears, but then turn out giving you a very, very good look on the day of the show during the practice week, then you know that happens. And then when the practice week comes, there's no juggling like, oh, my gosh, should I do this? Should I have some more rice this time or should it be a sweet potato? Should I have two <laughs> liters of water or one liter of water? 
all those things, people start to freak out. And this is where coaches can be very, very helpful. If you've already practiced that once, you're like, no, I know what I did worked. I did it and I, may, I created the same circumstances I would have when I'm at the show. I took a day off beforehand, just like would. Did it on Sunday, let's say, so I could have a Saturday off as I would when I'm at the actual show. And then you just run through the same procedure you did, maybe with some small changes that you noted that you needed when you did the practice week. And it doesn't need to be much. The problem that people a lot of times run into is when they are not in shape, they really haven't reached the physique that is required by their division. And they try to make up for that in peak week by doing something drastic, like eliminating water. People, I've heard of people not drinking water for four or five days. Um, then there's a whole diuretic, diuretic story, which can be really, really bad and uh, very, very treacherous. Um, trying to carb up on all sorts of foods they've never eaten before. And a lot of people can do that, but some people, there's just not a chance. They go on stage bloated. There's a million things that can potentially go wrong. Much better to do those if you're going to try those things out during a practice week when it doesn't matter. And you've still got two weeks to clean your physique up before actually stepping on stage for the real deal. So... Well, Scott, yeah. I find this interesting. I know you and I had um, a talk before this just so I could get to know you a little better. And you you chuckled because, you know, when I had been working with some bodybuilders that were getting ready to go in competition, like this was not granted. This was 20 years ago, guys. So this is a while ago. They were literally eating boiled chicken and water. And that was it literally for the week up to their peak week, which was absolutely disgusting. And I'm like, if I smelled chicken anymore and I wasn't even eating it, it was, it was terrible. So, you know, with you talking about, you know, getting your, your diet right and knowing what you need to do for peak week, if somebody really isn't that savvy with nutrition and they are trying to become a bodybuilder, they want to compete and it's their first time would you suggest them hiring an RD or is there a good resource to help somebody try to figure out what are the right things to eat and when do I need to load on this or stop eating that? There's, there's lots of good resources and there's a wide range of how people kind of go about the whole bodybuilding thing. On one end of the spectrum, there's, there's a book. I'm going to give myself a plug, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. I've got a large section on Peak Week in there. People can read about the things that I have found with my clients and myself work well. There's actually Guillermo Escalante. I imagine you probably have interviewed him or you will. He headed up this entire effort and was the over, overseeing editor for the entire certification program. He's the head author on a, um, uh, a scientific paper that we put out last year on Peak Week that contains everything in my book and more that's been added. So people can go and read those things. It's written... It's there's some sciencey language in there, but it's written the average person can understand 90% of what's there. So that's one way to kind of get a handle on things. And then, of course, we've got the certification program where people can talk to someone um, who's done this in various ways. This, I will, I will say this um, I would be very, very wary. I don't want to tell anyone what to do, very, very wary of people who. Uh, want to prescribe diuretics or do diuretics, obviously that's illegal. Doctors aren't going to do, no physician would do that um, for these purposes. Diuretics would typically be used in cases of hypertension or congestive heart failure or other, other maladies where someone has edema or excess water retention. They get used all the time. I think it's entirely unnecessarily, to, to be honest. I've worked with 
There's one person I can I can mention, um, David Henry. He was a 2000. He's Mr. Olympia 202, one of the best in the world. We worked together for 15 years. Never had a need. Never used any diuretics. Didn't doesn't have to happen. So these things can happen. And he was always in amazing shape. That's one of the things that goes along with this. So if someone does seek out a coach, um, if they want to, do, especially in the in the context of peak week. My advice would at least be get a hold of them, not during the peak week. I have people come to me like with an emergency situation. They've lost their coach. They've broken up with their coach. Something didn't, they didn't, weren't satisfied with their coach and they want a peak week plan. It's very hard to do until you've done a good intake with someone and decide whether that's actually needed. So at least maybe a month before, if you're going to bring a coach in to help you with this and then ask them what their plan is and how they go about things. There's a bunch of sort of, you can lean from, um, we've written for the certification program, kind of do's and don'ts. But when in, when in doubt, as I said before, and this is a big thing that um, we emphasize as we wrote and rewrote the chapter, is that if you've gotten yourself to the point where you meet the criteria for doing well on, on stage, you shouldn't have to do anything. In many cases, it's better to do just nothing. A very simple kind of rule of thumb is... Pay attention to when you how you look best. If your diet varies, it may be a lot of people have refeeds. They do some sort of dietary toggling where they have maybe they they train for three days and they take a day off and they refeed on that day or whatever it might be. And if you know you have a best time of the week or best day of the week, simply strategize your training, everything so that that best look appears occurs on the day of the show. And that basically entails nothing but just setting up your training and your dietary pattern to synchronize with show day when you look best. And if you're already in shape, you're there, you're taken care of. So good stuff. Um, so here, here we are on, on random fit, both Wendy Batts and I, Ken Miller talking with Dr. Scott Stevenson, talking about competitive bodybuilding. So we're talking, you know, Wendy opened up with asking about, do you need a registered dietitian? And I think you answered that question greatly, but but what I want to know from you, Scott, is, and we're talking about coaching and nutrition, for somebody to get adequately prepared, say it's your first time, how many coaches and what kind of, co or, or what kind of coaches do you need to help guide you through if this is your first time going through this? So, you know, just to kind of align, you know, where you might try to find the right resources, as you know, I've heard, you know, coach for posing, talk about nutrition then someone's got to get you there physically. So who do you need in your corner to help get you on stage? Wendy might be smiling inside. We talked about this extensively <laughs> on, our competition, on, our, on, our, uh, on our conversation. I, I'm at sort of one end of the spectrum in this, in this regard. So take that for what it is. It, what, how, my, my perspective is, is literally, it's very, very different. My, the title of my book is Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. And the way I sort of see this is that the challenge um, that getting on stage or getting ready for a photo shoot presents is one that really has its value, its intrinsic worth, is that it is a challenge for you. You've taken on the learning process, the doing process, everything that comes with it. So to some extent, not to the point where you're just you're, you're sort of walking around in a daze, you know, in a, in, a, in a dark cave without any idea where to go and what to do next – the more you take on it yourself, potentially more you can learn and grow from it. And the more that experience, for instance, could increase your self-efficacy, your ability to 
sort of tackle other things in your life. Um, I've always thought, and this is sort of a, a notion from the, the realm of ethics and sport, that sport and these sort of competitive activities have their value in that they teach us to overcome things. They teach us to um, develop some internal strength that then would make the rest of our life better, would make us better able to overcome what other challenges life might present. So at my end of the spectrum, I've never, I've never had a coach. I've had two friends that I've, that I've kind of uh, I've talked with over the years both of which have been around, they've been around for 30, 40 years as well, like me, but I've never hired a coach per se um, because my inclination was, I want to learn as much as I can. Um, I want to do this as, on, on my own as much as I can. And I'm, I'm a nerd. I mean, I've devoted my life to learning as much as I possibly could. So I'm definitely at one end of the spectrum. I'm very much an oddball in that regard. Um, other people may come in and this is why I take my car to a mechanic. I mean, I've done a lot of work on my truck and my Jeep and my RVs because I like to do those things, but there are certain things I just don't do. So I go to the expert and some people who are busy with their, with their lives. Otherwise they're going to have, they don't want to go online and figure out like what are the factors that contribute to glycogen storage and skeletal muscle um, and those sorts of things. They just don't have the time for that. Maybe they don't even have interest. So in that case, you seek out a coach um, to help you in that regard. Um, you mentioned posing coaches. Um, uh, Kenny Wallach is someone who just comes to mind. He's he's probably the foremost posing coach. He works with people all around the world, actually. Does a lot of it online. Friend of mine. Great guy. Um, I don't know how many athletes he has. Some people, they want to make sure their posing is dead on. Um, my thought would be, if you have an inclination and you want to learn how to do that dance on stage, the presentation is something that really floats your boat. Do as much of that as you possibly can. Bring yourself to that point of development. And then when you don't think you can go any further by watching videos online, there's a lot of nice posing tutorials that you can find. Then hire someone else on. Um, for a first show, let's say, in my, my mind, one way to go about it would be assess whether you think you can do it safely um find maybe maybe find the resource i think people can sign up for they may not have to take the test but they can sign up for on the nasa website and read through this material and assess whether you want to give it a go on your own i've talked to um people now that it wasn't long ago i had a conversation with some guys at a desk behind a gym that i was training at and they're thinking about like i'm doing to do my first show but i got to find a coach first and back in the day and this is one of the beautiful things it can be at least about bodybuilding is we just talked amongst ourselves at the gym. You figured out on your own. It was a beautiful thing. You didn't need a coach. Um, and then I think in doing so, at least diving in and maybe, you know, getting your feet wet a little bit, splash around in the pool, check the temperature. When you're looking for a swim coach, when you're looking for a bodybuilding coach, you have a better idea of who could best serve you. So you've got some notion, you've got some amount of intelligence. Um, you, know, you, you imagine going back to the analogy of uh, someone who's going in to get their car fixed. If you have no idea what a camshaft is and, you know, what a carburetor is and these sorts of things, and someone wants to take advantage of you and charge you for things that are completely unnecessary, you have no idea. Well, you're at their mercy. You can be taken advantage of. And there are coaches who do really dastardly things in that regard. So if you've informed yourself enough to go and ask a coach some questions for instance, could you see some before and after pictures? A, a great um, strategy is say, hey, is there a couple of your clients that I could speak with just to see how, 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 they've, how they've enjoyed your coaching? Um, 
talk to them about the level of interaction that they provide. Some coaches do com- things completely online. Some coaches have, have phone calls. There's a million ways this can be done. It kind of depends on what the person wants and the level of interaction. What I do, like I do, I'm a, sort of one end of the spectrum. What I do now mostly is consultation with people that have learned a lot. And I'm actually consult with a lot of coaches or people that are pretty advanced. And they're like, I just can't figure out one little thing. There's something sort of um, eluded me for the last few years. Maybe Scott figures this kind of stuff out a lot. Maybe he can help me with this. And we work through these, these sticking points. But these people have 99% of it taken care of by themselves. So you need to figure out what percentage you want to take on as your own and then figure out um, what you want from a coach. It could be just purely information. Um, some degree of coaching is, is, can be what you could call hand-holding, but this could be a tremendously daring experience for someone. Someone, for instance, who's had a poor body image and poor self-esteem related to all of this. For them, it may be a maximal challenge just to commit to doing this in the first place. So they need someone who is, is going to be able to empathize or at least sympathize strongly with them and want to check in. Hey, how are you feeling? I know you're hungry. Um, you know, we're not to where you need to be on stage, but we're going to get there. And if you don't look the way we want to look by the time the competition or the photo shoot is, we'll just extend it. We'll find another one. There's lots of competitions. We can make this happen any other time. Like that level of interacting on a person-to-person basis, like a good health practitioner would, someone with good bedside manner, could be the most important part of having a coach. The connecting the dots of changing the diet and changing the training, a lot of that is is can be very, very simple, especially when you don't know quite what may work best for you. Just go through the basic steps and make that happen. So maybe for some that really finding someone who they connect with personally, um, much like a friend, be beware, I would say be wary of dual relationships. Those can be <laughs> difficult. Um, that's maybe a topic you guys have covered. But someone who's really the way I look at it, when I coach someone, it's all about them. It, whatever happened to me, my day doesn't matter. I'm not going to complain to them. I'm not going to. It's me. I'm completely at their service. I am their servant, essentially, as a coach. And although there are coaches that work this way, that may not work for some people. Some coaches, it's my way or the highway. They're very familiar. They're more like a drill sergeant. For some people, that works. For others, it may not. So getting sort of an energetic sense of the person you're going to vibe with um, the best, as well as the level of information and assistance you need are two kind of main areas you can look at. It's like, okay, do I, what, do I like this person? And do they have the sense they really are looking out for me or they just want to bark orders at me? Um, and that's not what I need. Or maybe someone just needs, I don't, I don't need someone to hold my hand. I know how to train or these things. I just want to know, make, I'm your soldier. This is something you'll hear often the time. And I get inquiries and this is not how I work, but a lot of people just want to see, I want to be told exactly what to do. Just tell me what to do so I can just execute. I don't want to have to think at all. That's, that's the way many coaches work and that's the way many people want to be coached. So that's sort of a little bit of a description of the landscape of potential coaches and coaching styles that people can look into. Uh, That's a lot to digest. So, I mean, and you've definitely downloaded a lot on us uh, on this episode of random fit, but and you also said that with the physique and bodybuilding course that it could easily a thousand pages, you said. So, I mean, we haven't seen it just, yeah. yeah, it just came out, but for somebody who's listening to this and, you know, we've, you know, you've done a great job of, let's say, piquing their interest in, you know, maybe, maybe I need to change. Maybe I need to change the way I look. Maybe I need to do something to make myself feel better about myself and how I carry myself. 
if someone wants to now they have aspirations of getting on stage or entertaining that idea what's one thought that you might have for them as far as taking on this endeavor find something that's sustainable that gives you life that you want to do each and every day that you're driven that you're just naturally attuned to um that way that way is much one of the things, and this is going to sound a bit strange, but it's a mindset I developed years ago. And sometimes I, it's, it's, it gives you sort of the flavor of what I'm getting at. Dieting down for a bodybuilding competition is, can be really, really difficult. Competitive bodybuilding at the highest level is not the healthiest endeavor. Um, even if you're not just eating boiled chicken for a week on end or what have you. Um, right. yeah. it, it's really can be really, really a, a test of the mind as well as the body. One of the things that I recognized was that the hungrier I felt, my hunger and the level of, I don't call it suffering, the level of discomfort was a good thing. So I actually would, I actually recognize like, okay, when I'm starting to feel this way, that means I'm getting close to looking the way I want to look. And I would welcome that. And not in a masochistic way. It was just me as a physiologist thinking, okay, this is about the level of hunger and, you know, after a meal, I want to eat another meal, like right away, those sorts of things. Some, some things that I looked to that, that were actually motivating for me because I knew I was on the right track. So in the same way, someone should, I think, find something where, where they feel like this is something I want to do. Not like I hear this all the time. I get probably almost every other time I go out in the public, especially in Florida. So it's warm all the time. I've got a tank top on. I get asked questions. And the thing that I say is that um, you should find something that you really, really want to do. Because if you don't want to do, if you're in this mindset, well, ah, uh, you know, I've gained a few pounds and I'm not eating very well. And I've got sort of this guilt or shame that I feel related to how I look, how I look or the fact that my body has been changing in a way I wouldn't like it to. And that is the source of the motivation. That really works out in my experience as something that is going to get people to make a positive change. It, it needs to come from more of a positive place. This is something I want to do because I'm looking forward to the challenge, to the experience. So as difficult as it may be, it should be something that you want to do. People do, you know, crazy road races and triathlon type races, lots of, right. you know, crazy athletic endeavors yeah. that people get into that you would think, why would you want to do that? And there's something inherent in the human brain that, that it's probably something about our reward system that drives us to do those sort of things. Um, you know, we can maybe, you guys could talk to an evolutionary biologist about that, but <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. So it'd be something that you really want to do, that you, that you generally want to, not because you feel like you should or you ought to or someone's judging you because you haven't done that or you don't look the way you would look if you were to do that. It has to come from... I'll, I'll, I'll quote, I've often quoted, there was um, an exercise psychologist by the name of Rod Dishman who spent decades of his career studying exercise adherence. And I was looking forward to taking his exercise psych class when I was in, in grad school. And uh, he had sort of changed from that line of research because it was his thought, and I agree with him on this, that we are creatures of immediate gratification in large part. So if you like going to the gym, if you like knowing you're on that path, that leads to whatever the competition or the onstage appearance or the photo shoot might be, then that's your immediate gratification. If you say, you know what, I'm going to plan on suffering and doing something I don't want to do repeatedly throughout the week for the next three or four months so that I can get to that point in time months from now where I look a certain way, 
that's just torture. That's just that's a little crazy yeah. in my mind. Um, I would never do what I do um, if I didn't really enjoy the journey. So find something that you want to do and pick a goal. And maybe it's just a photo shoot. You may not want to go and put tanner on and shave your body if you're a guy and you know, paint <laughs> around in your underwear. Sometimes you know, the joke we make. You may want to do like people do lots of cool photo shoots. Maybe you want to get with your your partner, right. your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, and do a cool shoot. We're gonna go and you know climb on some rocks or stand on the railroad tracks or whatever people want to do. There's lots of really cool things and, and celebrate your youth and your fitness, you know, with the cool photo shoot the stuff like that. And if you're motivated you to do that, yeah, you can make the whole thing <laughs> as enjoyable getting there is as is when you're finally there at the end point, so to speak. There you go. That's it. I'm booking it. I'm going to book right three months from now. Me <laughs> on the beach. There you wow. go. Yeah, yeah, there we go. You in the beach and your underwear. Not, not much to shave, though, but uh, okay. <laughs> we'll get it done. But, hey, Scott, it's been a pleasure. I've, I've uploaded so much from you, and I can't wait to dive into that uh, physique and bodybuilding. So thank you so much for your time. Great having you on here. And um, we're, we're definitely going to keep in touch offline. So thank you so much. You're All right. Thanks, Wendy. Awesome. Oh, thank you guys so much. <laughs> so thank you everybody for listening to us here wendy bats on behalf of wendy bats and i ken miller on random fit having our guest dr scott stevenson talking about physique and bodybuilding if you like what you heard today like follow subscribe share comment a lot of great information here definitely but i we encourage you wholly if you like what we had to talk about today look into that physique and bodybuilding course that just came out through the national academy of sports medicine so until next time, take care and be well.